Welcome, I'm Ryan Hicks, and this is Modern Business, the podcast to learn from franchise business leaders and explore new business technology. Our community is about sharing knowledge and tools that help us achieve our goals in business and beyond. Thanks for being here, and welcome to Modern Business. Welcome back, everybody, to Modern Business Podcast. Uh, thank you all for hopping on here once again. We have a full house today. Um, have some fellow podcasters on. Of course, we have the um, the legend, uh, Mr. Ryan Hicks, the founder of Modern Business, uh, on the line with me. Uh, Ryan, say hello. What's up, guys? And I appreciate the legend drop, Zach. I like that a lot. Hopefully, we don't let he does. It doesn't go to his head a little bit too much here. But uh, folks, really happy to have you back uh, once again for another really. Awesome episode. We are bringing a, uh, a fan favorite on today. Um, many of you guys have seen him speak over the past uh, year and a half when we were at a conference, remember those, um, with uh, a really great uh, friend of ours. Uh, really excited to introduce him in a moment. But, uh, but before we get into this, um, I do want to go through a couple of announcements that we have. Uh, for those who did um, attend Springboard, um, not only will you recognize this next guest, but you will also um, have hopefully really enjoyed yourselves and gotten to experience a virtual conference that was a little bit different. I'm really happy that we um, had some, got to see some familiar faces over Zoom and um, and all that that may entail. And uh, hopefully we'll get to be um, together very soon. Uh, but before we uh, also dive in, I want to make sure that Ryan goes through any announcements that he has. Um, Ryan, anything from you until we get into the podcast here? Only one thing. I'm pumped to announce this guest and to bring him on. Um, but as we've been beating the drumbeat consistently, we have a text community. You can subscribe to that. Give us your feedback. Make guest recommendations. Say hello. Uh, just go to voxy.com forward slash modern business, M-O-D-R-N business, and you can jump on our little text community there. Um, so do that, guys. And make sure that you hit the subscribe button. Uh, for the folks that haven't subscribed to the podcast, we really appreciate it. We've got a number of uh, really awesome content initiatives that we're working on behind the scenes that you're going to be able to hear in the near future. And so with that, I'll turn it back over to Zach. You can formally introduce our guest, brother. Absolutely. Well, uh, folks, really excited to introduce our next guest. As I said, uh, he's somebody that, you know, Ryan and I have definitely gotten to know in the past year and a half to two years and uh, have really gotten to, you know, understand how he does things differently in the franchise space. This episode's going to be a little different because it's going to be a little bit more advice driven because um, the gentleman has a lot of advice to give. So uh, really happy to introduce um, a panelist that I had uh, with me for Springboard uh, this year virtually and a good friend of ours, uh, co-founder and CDO of Amada Senior Care, Marcos Mora. Marcos, thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Really happy to have you. And uh, you're, as as I, the first thing that I will say, you're very lucky. Uh, you're out of Orange County. And so uh, the reality <laughs> of what you're looking at, you're out, out of your window versus what I'm looking out of my window is uh, very different, might I add. But uh, really happy to uh, have you on and to have some folks, you know, learn a little bit of, a bit about you. And I think where I want to start is on, you know, where, how you got involved in franchising. So I think that that's just important to set the stage. So why don't we start there? Um, and how you really found this awesome business model. You know, one thing that I don't know that we've ever talked about is in 1991, I'm going to go way back here. In 1991, my dad got sick of Brazil. We were living in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. My dad's like, I'm done. I want to move to the United States. And my dad is, um, is the biggest Brazilian redneck you've ever met. Like my, <laughs> my dad, he used to say when we moved to the United States, 
he said, I don't want you to call me Edison anymore. I was like, I was like, dad, Edison is an American name. And he goes, no, the Brazilian name is our Brazilian name. I want you to call me Ed. From now on, my name is Ed. And I was like, well, what are you, dad, you're crazy. Like, why am I calling you Ed? Because he, he wanted so much to be American and he loved this country. And so we moved here in 1991. And the way that we came, one of the ways that we came is we bought a franchise. We bought a Blimpies franchise. So my dad is a franchisee of Blimpies in Provo, Utah in like 91, 92. And I have, I have two brothers. And so the three of us, were the crew, right? So it's my mom and my dad making sandwiches and, and me and my two brothers at Blimpies. And that was actually my first introduction to franchising. Did you, did you guys know that or no? I did not know that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I didn't know it, but Marcos, I'd say that it's, it's not surprising. How old were you at the time? I was, uh, so I was 14, 15, right? And I actually had a wonderful Brazilian accent. You know, if you ever take jujitsu classes and you hear the Brazilian instructors talking, that's what I sounded like, right? It was great. I'm, and I, I'm, I, I feel like I've lost it a little or a lot, but, um, but I was 14, 15. And so I would do, you know, like two hours of school. And then I had like work release, you know, like work release from jail, but it was school. And so I'd take the bus and I'd go back and I'd work at Blimpy's. And uh, it was, it was for like three years we had the restaurant. Um, you know, the typical immigrant story, you know, of, of coming to the United States, buying a franchise and, and working as a family. So wow. take us along the journey. So after that, what came next for you? Obviously, you're still in school. I would presume that was that's high school. What did you do after school? And when did you take the jump into the entrepreneurial journey yourself? Yeah, so um, that's a good question. You know, after Blimpies, and, and my dad sold it. You know, what's what's interesting about when you talk about that journey, it was actually a horrific experience for my dad. He hated every minute of it. Like it was awful. Um, and it was it was sort of that first. And I don't know when I really conceptualized this, but it was that my first like experience of realizing that. Not everybody should start a business, number one. Like that it's okay for us to say that. Not everybody should start a business. It's 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 my dad, my so for example, my dad today is a professor at a university in Texas, and he's incredibly happy. When he gets up and he teaches and he helps the kids and he talks about the theory of it, he loves it. He found himself. But as an owner of a restaurant and a franchise of Blimpies, he was unbelievably miserable and our, our family was miserable right when you walked into the restaurant you could feel the misery right like our customers and we had customers that loved us that came every day but it was like the soup nazi my dad would mistreat people he was rude to people because he hated it so it was my first like okay I, I better i better do things in my life that i love and also the idea that not everybody should be an entrepreneur that was kind of a, a good lesson so um but I, you, you could really fast forward because um, I, I ended up becoming an entrepreneur in early 2000s. I was working at Countrywide uh, as, a, as a mortgage loan officer. And this was before the debacle of 2008. This is early 2000s. And um, a friend of mine, Uli, Korean guy, uh, we decided let's open a brokerage. And so I think it was maybe 2002, we quit Countrywide. 
and we started brokerage. And I remember we, we went into our boss's office together because we were afraid to quit. We were, I don't know why we were like afraid to quit. And so we both walked in and we quit at the same time. And uh, my boss at the time, his name was Jeff Cheryl, good dude. Um, he, he was like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, like, what do I care? Go ahead, you know, go start your brokerage. And, and we did, we started our brokerage in 2002. And that was, that was my, my journey back into becoming an entrepreneur was around 2002. Huh. I mean, it's, it's like so funny to hear about this because Ryan and I never knew um, anything about kind of the back history behind this. And so, you know, taking it forward to, you know, your current, your current gig today, um, how did you really get involved in, you know, a space that is obviously, you know, catapulted, catapulted into relevance and, you know, the past, you know, five to seven years, you know, it's really gotten quite huge. How did you really decide to get involved in that space? And, you know, what's really, what, what's really compelled you to stay, you know, not only in franchising, but in senior care. And then I kind of want to follow this up with, you know, what you, what you kind of look for when you see like a new and interesting space in franchising, like what, yeah, what aspects of a space do you look for? Yeah. So with, with Amada Senior Care, we started franchising it in 2012. And uh, maybe for some of you guys that are listening that don't know what Amada is, we're a home care company, much like the wonderful home care companies out there like Bright Star, Right at Home, uh, Qualicare, Visiting Angels. Um, and, and, and what's wonderful about this space is even if we were in a bar, you know, just, just you and I chatting, you know, like I wouldn't say, Zach, let me tell you about, you know, this, the, I, I think all the brands out there that are in our space, I think are wonderful brands. And so I think that's been a, a lucky thing that I, I think it's such a great space. But when we started franchising in 2012 was when I actually joined Amada Senior Care. And by the way, I kind of joined kicking and screaming. Um, prior to Amada, I was, I was uh, involved in a brand called Play and Trade Video Games, which had like this meteoric, meteoric, it, how do you say that? Am I saying that right? Medi- meteoric, that right. yeah. Is that Nailed right? It. Meteoric rise. Like, it grew like crazy. I think there was about 550 locations of, of, of playing trade video games um, that were awarded. And then, um, and this is right before Amada. So, so we're growing this brand and the brand just got killed by um, GameStop. You know, GameStop just ate our lunch. You know, such an amazing story there of uh, David and Goliath. We were David and GameStop was Goliath. And Goliath won. Like they, they kicked our trash. And so, and, and also there was a whole thing of, of video games becoming digital. And it yeah. actually at that point, it left me a little bit of a bad taste in franchising because we had awarded franchises to a lot of people who should never become entrepreneurs. So there it is again, right? Uh, we have this amazing concept. Everybody wants to buy it. We're the only video game franchise on the planet. And so we're selling it like crazy, but we're selling it to everybody and anybody. Wonderful people who probably should not have acquired a, a, a play and trade video games. And so as the brand comes crashing down, like it's, it's like the Titanic, right? It's, coming, it's just crashing. And I remember thinking, I'm done with franchising. I literally thought this is it. You know, I just... I, I don't want to be in this environment environment anymore. And uh, my brother-in-law, Jared Turner, said, hey, man, I've been talking to the founders of Amada, 
who are here in town. It was, it was a couple guys that I knew as well. And he, and he said, we're, we're going to start franchising. We've got our first franchisee. I, I want you to come join us. And you know what's crazy? This was crazy. My first instinct was run, like run the other way. Um, first of all, back in 2012, I really didn't know much about home care. Um, you know, I understood, I understood franchising, but not about home care. So I really was just like, I, I, I don't know. But um, I, I learned about the model and I learned about these two founders, uh, Chad Fotheringham and Tafa Jefferson, these two guys who had built the modest senior care here in Orange County. And, I, and they had gone from, this is what's so crazy, is they opened the business in 2007. And in 2008, what happened in 2008? Do you guys remember? You guys are younger than me, but do you remember the debacle of 2008? Oh, yeah. Of, <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Big was, time. So mortgage meltdown happens. Everybody loses their shorts. It's, it's a horrible time in the economy. And here's these two guys, Chad and Tasa, here in Orange County, who build a modest senior care. And they go from like zero in 2007 to about $8 million in billings, in month, in yearly billings by 2012. So that was hard to ignore. And, and I was thinking, wait, 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 what? You went from zero in 2007 and in 2012, I think it was about seven, $8 million out of one location, not a franchise, just one location here in Orange County. And these are really cool dudes, um, guys that you'd want to be with and follow and, and hang out with. And, and I couldn't understand how they were making that much, that much volume. Um, and so it was intriguing. It was intriguing. And I, I had to take this, this bad experience I had with trying to turn around a company that was really failing and the bad experience I had watching my dad hating what he did as a franchisee and thinking, maybe this will be different. So, so Zach, that, that's, where, that's where it all started back in 2012. Um, and I think it's just funny that quite frankly, I did it kicking and screaming. I didn't, I did not want to, uh, I did not want to do it. You know, it's fascinating to kind of hear the backstory, Marcos, because we've spent a lot of time together at different conferences and I've heard you speak so many different times, but one of the, one of the, the threads that you've brought up a couple of times is that not, not everybody's cut out to be an entrepreneur not everybody should be an entrepreneur. You had those experiences, and then now you you come kicking and screaming, but you're compelled, and so you make the jump into this business, and you guys have built a tremendous success story as you've grown the brand. What did you do to put in you know the right processes in place to to bring the right types of people into the business? What do you think some of the main things that you did that made Amada kind of done right? Um, because right now I think, I think the story is the reverse. You wouldn't say that you're, you're down on franchising. I think you'd stand from a rooftop and, and scream that franchising done right is a, a very beautiful thing. So what are some of the things that you did, uh, that have kind of attributed to the success and, and helped create the momentum that you guys have created Yeah, and bringing, really bringing the right types of people into the system? Yeah, Ryan, that, that is absolutely true. Like today, I am, I, I so, so love the franchise industry. I love the fact that we have all these brands, all these proven systems that if the, the right entrepreneur 
grabs onto it, it can be amazing. And and go back to my dad. In Provo, Utah, there were two Blimpies. There was one in South Provo. There's one in North Provo. The North Provo franchisee had been there for like 15 years, and he loved every minute of it. Loved it. This dude was he was over by the high school, um, and and he loved the brand. He loved the the franchise. He loved the franchisor Blimpy. He loved the product. He was all over town about it. And here's my dad, right? My dad, who just would yell at customers. So there was a difference, right? It wasn't the, it wasn't so much the brand, it was the entrepreneur. So I, I completely agree with you. Like there, there's, there's an amazing um, cosmic wonderfulness that happens when the right brand finds the right entrepreneur and they go to work. So, so, so completely true. So Amato was also, I think, total luck. But we're in about 120 locations today, and the vast majority of our franchisees are former medical device and pharmaceutical folks. And I know that's very unusual. For those of you guys who are in the franchise industry, you may not have heard of like something like this before, where 85% of our franchise partners are straight up former folks who worked at Abbott, Stryker, Merck, Pfizer, Medtronic, companies like that. They're amazing. Um, and and and. The reason we did this, it goes back to what we were just talking about, which is we started Modest Senior Care in 2012. We have one franchise partner, Robert Christensen, who's become a dear friend of mine. And uh, Robert had spent 13 years at Pfizer. And so we're sitting down and I'm like, first of all, Robert, you're crazy. Nobody wants to be the first franchisee of anything, right? Imagine that. Imagine the guy who was the first franchisee of Subway, or the first franchisee of 7-Eleven. Like, those people are nuts. You know, early adopters, risk takers. So I'm saying that with Robert, and I'm going, I'm saying, why? You know, why would you, why would you do this? And so he, he reports back to me. Again, this is a guy who spent 13 years at Pfizer Pharmaceuticals, well-respected, made great money as a pharmaceutical rep. And what's interesting is, is he doesn't tell me about the opportunity of, of Amada. He tells me about his pain. I, I'll never forget that. I'm sitting down with him and I say, why? Why did you do this? And he starts describing to me the pain he was going through at Pfizer. The fact that pharmaceutical sales was not the same. That um, the legislation had to come down and they're not having fun anymore. They're not making as much money anymore. He doesn't see a future. He's tired of just being a salesperson. Uh, he, he wants to, he knows there's more to him than just being a sales guy. And I was kind of like, well, it's not really what I was asking you. I was really asking you why Amada, but you're sharing the pain with me. Um, and that was a, a kind of a, a click, right? It was a moment of that's very interesting. And then we, I, I, I said, well, Robert, do you think that are other people in your industry under that same pain? He goes, well, at least everybody at Pfizer, yeah. It's like everybody goes, everybody. Everybody at Pfizer right now is wondering when they're going to get fired. And we're talking about thousands of people who have been in pharmaceuticals who work for Pfizer. I don't even know if they're going to get mad at me for saying this, but like, it's a big company. They have a lot of people there. And according to Robert, everybody was living in quiet desperation, trying to figure out what am I going to do when I get fired? That's crazy, right? So, so Ryan, that was it. That was, that was sort of this catalyst to saying, what if? What if we could build a modest senior care with just people like Robert, not, you know, 
like literally like Robert. And, and that was, that was a catalyst back in 2012. Yeah. And I think kind of as, as I'm reflecting back to when you were at young conference and you and Ryan Comby did this really awesome session. Uh, most of the people in the audience weren't able to attend that session because we had a pretty small group. And one of the things that you really harped on up there when you were on stage and you were taking the group through a series of uh, teachings and exercises and all of that is you talked about really honing in on your ideal franchisees and the ideal franchise candidates. What do they look like? Who do they work for? You know, how, how do you reach them and those types of things. And so, you know, I would glean that one of the things that you guys did as you came on in 2012 and you, you looked for growth, you got really clear on who would be the right type of, of operator, the right type of, of entrepreneur to, to join the organization. So talk a little bit about that and maybe share a couple of the key insights that you, uh, that you did on the stage there at Young Conference. Cause I think it's something that, that a lot of people in the audience, like it's really tough when you're an emerging brand to really hone in on and understand who the ideal candidate is. But is that what you guys did? And what are some of the words of advice there? Yeah. So that was, that was one thing that we did. It was just getting really clear. But the other thing I've been thinking back to a lot is there was also another, another side to this. Um, I had failed miserably in 2008. You know, I talked about starting that brokerage company. And at that point, 2008 comes by and my, I lose my business. I got lost everything. Repo guy takes my car, cars, you know, like, like straight up a huge debacle. And when we started franchising in 2012, there was something about, I, I really wanted to be happy. There was a selfish drive here as well. I was sick and tired of being in a business I didn't want to be in. I was sick and tired of talking to people I didn't want to talk to anymore. And you see this in our industry, and, I, and it drives me crazy. We go to these conferences, and I talk to salespeople, right, the, the franchise development folks. And I'm telling you, a lot of us are, are pissed off, are kind of sad, because we wake up in the morning, and we speak to prospects we don't want to talk to. We speak to prospects we know should not buy the business, probably don't qualify, and yet we're going to sell them a business. Like why? And so I didn't want to do that anymore. I didn't want to live that life. So when I when I was sitting down with Robert, there was a, a this other epiphany, which was I loved talking to Robert. I loved his experience. I loved um, what he stood for. I loved uh, the training he had received from Pfizer. And we become friends. Our first franchisee of Amada Senior Care, we just were at, at Lake Powell together with our families in a, in a houseboat, you know, slammed in together with, with, with like 30 people on this boat. Like we become friends. And, I, and, and there was a selfish reason of I don't want to speak to anybody that is not going to be a good franchisee. I also thought with my partners, I remember thinking, I don't want to go to an annual conference someday and, and dread getting out of my hotel room because I don't want to go see the entrepreneurs who bought the business because they're either people I don't want to hang out with. They're people who have no business being in my business um, or they're, they're 
mad because they have buyer's remorse, whatever, right? So there was a little bit of selfishness. And I think as an industry, as brands, I think it's time we get a little more selfish. Like, don't you want to be happy? Don't you want your salespeople to be happy? Don't you want your franchisees to be happy? Don't you want your operations people to have like a good time when they go out in the field and meet with the franchisees? Um, so, so that was, that was part of, I think, and I'm not going a little long on this, but I think it's, I think we missed this. Like you ought to, you ought to be awarding franchises to people that are going to be successful and you want to hang out with. And that might be kind of trite and kind of weird, but I, I, from the CEO to the, to, to the, the person answering the phones, I, I would much rather love the franchisees that I'm bringing on. I don't even know if I answered your question, Ryan. No, I mean, that's, I it's, I uh, it's, I just went on this rant about it's, how sad I was and how I didn't <laughs> want to be sad anymore. It's a truth and an insight that you want to surround yourself with the right type of people that mesh with the culture and that kind of the way that you describe the founders. These are people that I'd want to be around, that I'd want to hang out with. Yes. And so, you know, as you build your tribe, that's what you want to build. And uh, I, I think I think you you answered the question, um, Zach. Any follow ups to that, or anything that you'd like to add on the topic of kind of what they did early on and as they grew? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm I'm curious as it relates to just if we're thinking that we're in a potential franchisee shoes, right? You know, when any advice that you have for people when they're like evaluating an industry that they that may not necessarily be the sexiest or they may not have woken up like a month ago thinking that they were going to invest in you know any advice that you have for those people just to you know putting emotions aside right because like having somebody who's really passionate is obviously very important but like right. putting it aside from a monetary standpoint we're going to just look at it from a strict investment you know what would be your advice in terms of what you know people should look for in terms of you know, the correct or healthy market opportunity that they would have to really enter into franchising the right way with an investment yeah. that's actually going to give them a, an amazing career, you know, because that's what franchising is all about. I, I think this goes back to the pain point, right? When I spoke to, so you think about as an entrepreneur, you usually start a business because you want to get into a new vehicle. Like you've been driving this, Toyota Corolla for the last 30 years, right? With Toyota Corolla meaning your career. You've been a salesperson. You've been a ops person. That's like who you are. And you're not happy with that. And but there's but there's something that you acquired throughout that career of yours that makes you special, that makes you great. Like for me, I'm not operations. I would, I would, I couldn't, I couldn't operate myself out of a paper box. But I'm I think I'm really good at sales and marketing and I love it. Like I, I love doing that every single day. So I know that's my thing, right? So you, I think when you know that's your thing, I think you want to capitalize on that. And I think that's what my dad did. That was wrong. He, he did not at all capitalize on who he was. He capitalized on what he thought would be a good opportunity by the numbers, by the, you know, uh, uh, what he could and what he could afford to open, right? Which was one piece. But then you, you put that on the, on the franchisor side, right? Um, 
I think I think as a as a franchisor, when you're looking for somebody, I had to realize that my opportunity would be that new vehicle for my audience. And by new vehicle, I mean is this that that my franchisees, when they bought a model senior care, that they would tap into a vehicle that would draw on their superpowers, right? Of business development, um, emotional intelligence, B2B sales. That's already been drilled into them for the last 30 years. So when they get into my vehicle, they already know how to drive it. They already know exactly how to take the curves, how to take the turns, if you want to keep going with that analogy. So it wasn't very difficult to bring them into this new vehicle. However, the vehicle itself is brand new and it wipes away all the pain that they had in their previous uh, uh, profession. So my point is this, is don't bring people into your system who have a pain point in their previous life where they're going to have that same pain point in this new life. You need to be able to, your system ought to extinguish whatever pain they were going through. So if what they hated in their previous life was paperwork, like I love my life, but I cannot, I just hate paperwork. And if in your business, that entrepreneur is going to come into this new vehicle, but they have to do paperwork, warn them, right? Be honest, warn them that, by the way, what, what pissed you off in your previous life, you're going to have to do even more of in my system and make sure that they, that, that entrepreneur makes the conscious decision of I can deal with doing the paperwork or I'm going to hire somebody to do the paperwork. Um, the, the, it's all about the pain. It's not just about our opportunity. It's about, can you solve the pain of that entrepreneur? And I think that's what entrepreneurs want. They, they want to get out of the pain they're in. Mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. I think that's an amazing insight on two different levels. Cause first I'm listening to kind of how you responded to Zach's question and how you would speak to that person. Zach asked you to give the kind of the advice to that prospective franchisee, but I think a lot of folks in the audience on the franchisor side probably took some notes in terms of how you frame up the conversation and how you frame up addressing kind of the pain. And the second thing that I noticed is as you were talking, like the way that you describe the person that's coming into your system, you said that they've they've been in sales for years, that they're that they've had B two B selling kind of pounded into them because that's the candidate that you're looking for and that's who you're bringing in the system. And so it's not even within your reticular activation system to talk about any other type of profile of a person. And that just cracks me up, but it's, it just kind of, you, you walk the talk of what you talk about. And so having that said, could you just spend a minute talking a little bit about, I know that you've done this on camera and on stages and in many different conferences, but for the folks that aren't leveraging LinkedIn and some of the targeting methodologies that they can utilize to go find their, their, the ideal types of people that are in professions that have the pain that you're talking about. How are you finding these people? Yeah. So it's that, I, I think it becomes a, a, a quite simple when you know the who, because if, if you guys came to me and you said, Hey, let's say I'm a marketing firm and you come to me and you say, I, I've got a product that is amazing for ventriloquists. Ventriloquists, right? And there's probably not a lot of them in the world, you know? <laughs> but if you told me that, 
what my brain would start doing is, geez, I got to go search every magazine, every group, every social group, um, every website that caters to, to ventriloquists. Where the heck are they? But follow this along. If, if you know who the audience is, it's not that hard. You're going to find them either. So you're going you're gonna to sit there. And as a marketing firm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go on Facebook. I'm going to type in ventriloquist. And then I'm going to just keep, keep searching. And I'm going to keep searching. And if I'm worth my, my you know, what I'm charging, if, if, if I know what I'm doing, come hell or high water, I'm going to find these freaking ventriloquists throughout the world, right, to sell your product. So I'm astounded sometimes by our industry, how you go through this process. Okay, okay, okay. You want to sell franchises. Great. Who do you want to sell it to? And they go, I don't know. And then you kind of walk them through and you're like, and, and they say, well, okay, fine, fine, fine. I want to sell to um, pharmaceutical reps or I want to sell to financial planners. I want to sell to CPAs or I want to sell to IBM uh, middle managers. Okay, great. If you know that, and if you have person that you want to attract, then how you do that on LinkedIn, how you do it on Facebook, how you do it on Instagram is unbelievably simple. I mean, it really is, guys. There's a big, huge button on Instagram or on, on, on LinkedIn. Let me start with LinkedIn. There's a big, huge button on LinkedIn that says advertise. Like, that's how hard this is. You click advertise. And then there's a wizard that goes, who do you want to advertise to? And you go, uh, people who work at IBM. And it goes, ding, and it shows you like, there's 100,000 people at IBM. You go, but I only want to sell to salespeople. Okay, and it gives you salespeople. And I only want to sell in Wisconsin. Okay, great. So like, it walks you through. The, I think the, the, it's not that hard. The problem, the problem, the problem usually is that you don't know the audience that you're trying to reach. Because when you do, You'll find them, right? And uh, I guess I guess to piggyback on that, I think there's also a lot of lip service of, oh, I really want to sell to people who are B two B, who sell who sell B two B stuff. Okay, great. But do you, is that really really who you want to go after, or is that just somebody you think is going to give you money? There's a difference there, right? If all I care about is getting people's money, I don't really care who they are. I don't really care what their pain point is. I give a crap about them. I just want their money. But when your brand really, truly cares and loves and appreciates people who sell copiers to businesses, people who sell payroll to firms, people who work at IBM, and you really appreciate these people, you know what they're going through, what their pain point is, what keeps them up at night, nothing will stop you from reaching them. It's not, it's not because LinkedIn is hard that you're not going to reach them. You're going to be like, screw that. I'm going to figure out LinkedIn because I have to get my message to that one dude. And that's the problem. I, I think most brands just don't give a crap, quite frankly. I, I do. I think most brands just don't give a crap who they sell to. Because if they did, they would find them. My opinion. Yeah, I think you're probably right about that. And I, and I think that, you know, people, especially now, are finding themselves in quite a situation because they are having to sell themselves out of the pandemic as is something that I'm sure that, you know, you've been hearing as well. And it's harder than ever to really, you know, say no to somebody that may not be the right candidate. So 
you know, in saying that, you know, what are some steps that you, that you would recommend for people to take, um, to actually ensure against not doing that um, right now, as tempting as it may be, because there are even brands that are really healthy right now that are maybe struggling because of the industry that they're in that might be finding themselves doing something that they haven't done since they started, which is, you know, just taking taking the franchise fee because they need it. You know, I mean, I think it's important to, you know, make sure that folks understand that you could really mess up your system for years and years and years beyond. And it's not just a short term advantage, it could be a long-term detriment. So any advice that you have for franchise brands in terms of, you know, avoiding um, that pitfall? I think it's really hard. You know, I've been in those situations and we've taken flyers. You know, we've, we've had entrepreneurs that were sort of more fringe and we had some doubts and some of them actually have surprised us and some of us, some of them proved this right, you know, and, and didn't do so well. Uh, it's just tough, man. I, 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 I really, even though I go on this rant of you've got to find who you, who you really are going to be able to empower, I also get the brand that sells to whoever has the money. I get it because it's tough. You know, you got to pay the bills. You got to build your business. You got families to feed. And, and there's also a lot in our industry that tells you that's okay. That tells you it's that, you know, it's your system who's going to build these people up. And so it's okay to sell them a franchise, even if you think they're going to fail. There's a lot that points to that and saying it's okay. So I get it. No judgment whatsoever on it. I, I get it. I tell you that I think your, your, the long-term view though is, is really, really, really important. And Zach, you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, salespeople are always going to look short term, right? They need to make their commissions. So somebody in your company, somebody in your company needs to be looking at this long term and then realizing that will this new franchisee that we're thinking about awarding, we're thinking about taking their 48,000, are they going to bring in the amount of royalties we need over time to be able to grow a name brand? Is this, is this person going generate enough revenue so that we can have enough revenue to be able to train and support and continue to build the company. Um, and there's this exercise, actually, um, Dan Monahan is really, really good at this. Dan Monahan, as you guys know from WSI, Tudor Doctor, uh, Fuzz Wax Bar, um, he invests in brands. And what he does is he knows exactly the lifetime value of the franchisee as in the lifetime value he wants to achieve through that franchisee, right? What is the royalty capability of an A player? And when you take that dollar amount, it is 20 times higher at least, right? The franchise fee. The franchise fee may be 30, 40, 50, but the lifetime value is hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars. So when you take that number, it's a lot easier for you to say no to the 50 grand, 40 grand, 30 grand franchise fee because you really are focused on the lifetime royalty. But remember, your sales team is not focused on that. They do not get paid on royalties lifetime. They get paid on commissions right today, right now. Um, so if you surrender, and that's, I think, one of the problems in franchising, we have surrendered franchisee sales to salespeople who think short-term. Think about who runs franchise development in your organization. 
it's a diehard salesperson who, who needs to make commissions. We might want to rethink that. We might want to rethink that role that you probably want to have somebody who is maybe a founder, an owner, or somebody who has the best interest of the brand long-term in charge of, or at least oversight of that franchise development team. That's a really excellent insight and uh, it's a really the right way to, to look at it. Uh, specifically when you talked about, you know, weighing the franchise fee versus the, you know, the long term of, of what that royalty stream could bring in. And if you just wait a little longer to find the right operator for that territory, you're going to be in a much better position long term and your advice on, you know, balancing the short and long term. I mean, at the end of the day, you need the short term focus or elsewise deals wouldn't get done. But you have to have someone checking and balancing that long-term view, and you have to have a process in place to make the right decisions on who you let in the system. So that's amazing uh, advice. Would love to ask you two kind of two closing questions, and I'll ask them in one. Uh, I will have to jump at the top of the hour because yeah. we, we we kind of chatted well into our time before we actually hit record, just because we were catching up. But two things: one. What general advice, we didn't even jump into COVID and some of the COVID responses and all that that you guys have had. And I know the business has, has still done tremendously well for you. Um, so we're, we're definitely going to have to have you back on the podcast to touch a bunch of different oh, topics. Love to. but, yeah. Yeah, but, but um, general advice to emerging brands. There's a lot of folks out there that are struggling. So what words of encouragement and advice do you have for them? I know it's kind of crossed sectors and categories, but just general franchise advice for emerging brands. And then also close out with telling us where people can find you and how they can learn more about your franchise opportunity. Oh, thanks, man. You know, what has been big for me lately that I've been thinking a lot about. And uh, Gary Vaynerchuk talks a lot about this. I, and I love the guy. I think the dude is just brilliant. I know he swears a lot, but I just think he's brilliant. He talks a lot about <laughs> gratitude and empathy, gratitude and empathy, gratitude and empathy. And over this last, even before COVID, over this last maybe year, in my webinars that I do, I do a webinar for all new prospects. So when the prospect comes in, they actually get a webinar with me. It's an hour webinar that I do. And I start that webinar thanking them up and down for being on. Like it is this, weird, lavish, probably laughable, three minutes of time that I say, I am so incredibly thankful for your time. And I try to explain to them why I'm so thankful. I go into the fact that I know, and I mean it, like I know how busy you guys are. I know your kids are screaming all over the house. I know this COVID thing sucks. And the fact that you would give me, who you don't even know, an hour of your time is unbelievably valuable and i think that's that's something that that could i would love to permeate in the franchise industry you you should be so stinking thankful every time your crm sends you that message that says bob is inquired or you know steve sent out his form or or you know susie sent her application the the gratitude we should be expressing to these entrepreneurs should be like over the top i'm you know susie 
I, I am just floored. I am so thankful that you'd take the time to fill out this application. I am so thankful that you'd stayed on this webinar for an hour, um, especially during COVID. Who, nobody, guys, nobody is thanking these people for anything they do. Think their bosses say thank you for the work you did last week? No. Think they feel gratitude in their lives right now? No. That's why they're looking. That's why they want to be in our world. So um, gratitude, I think, has been a, 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 a huge thing that I think, well, if you permeate gratitude in your emails, in your in-mails, in your messages, in your webinars, I think that's going to play huge uh, for you and, and your audience. And um, I don't even know what the third, second question was. Uh, did I answer that? I don't know if I did. Yeah, really good advice. But just uh, how do they find out about your franchise opportunity? Because we do have a lot of folks that listen that have uh, oh, interest in franchising and all the rest. But how do they, how do they learn more? Just, just Google Amada Senior Care. Amada Senior Care. That's all you got to do. You Google it. Learn more about us. It's easy, easy, easy to inquire. And uh, we, it would be awesome to, to learn more about you as an entrepreneur. Um, and and as, you, as you guys know, if you're in that search, if a mod is not right for you, we'll be the first one to, first one to tell you. Um, we, we actually, something we started doing uh, for, for the entrepreneurs that come to us and maybe our territory is already awarded, so there's no territory there, or the entrepreneur realizes that it's not right. You know, they don't want to hire people. They don't want to do what we do. That's, that's totally cool. What we're doing now is we help them find other, other opportunities. So for example, we had somebody in Texas that looked at our brand, really cool father, son, uh, duo. Uh, we were already sold in their, in their market. And so we helped them acquire a stretch lab. Stretch lab is a cool new franchise out there. It's these places you go in, then you stretch your body out, which actually sounds amazing to me. They bought a, a three locations of stretch lab and I couldn't be happier. Like that's the coolest thing, and we're still in touch with them, and I'm I'm rooting for them all the way. So I don't, I really, guys, you know, I don't care. I don't care what you want to do, what business you want to get into. We just want to make sure you find the business that fits you. They're going to be successful, and it may not be a moda, it might be. So such a cool, cool time to look for businesses right now. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that uh, that that is a unique thing for fo for folks who don't know. That is very unique. That. Marcos is really open to doing something of that nature. And again, if you really to see some of the content that Marcos is putting out, um, definitely, I mean, Marcos, I can, I, I think that they definitely should try and connect with you on LinkedIn just to kind of see what you're saying. Cause a lot of the stuff you've been talking about today, you preach all the time on your LinkedIn and you have quite a following and have a lot of people that really engage with you pretty heavily. Um, and so I think that I would highly recommend that as well. At the very least, you can also go to his page and follow him as well. So you can read the stuff that he posts as well. I love that. And thank you. Thanks for the shout out. I appreciate it. No, of course. Well, uh, well, well, Hey, we really appreciate the time that, you know, that you gave to us today, Marcos, and, uh, really excited to hopefully see you in person very soon. And, uh, folks, yeah, uh, thanks too. again for listening. Marcos, thanks for coming up. Yeah.